Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of The Roadmap, the podcast dedicated to best practices in the auto lending industry. This was produced by the Center for Auto Finance Excellence and generously supported by Fiserv. Today, we have Sonia Steinway, the president and co-founder of Outside Financial. Outside Financial is a new consumer-facing startup launching in June that is focused on helping borrowers find the right loan for them. Sonia's career has focused on consumer finance regulation and social enterprise. Sonia received a bachelor's from the University of Pennsylvania and a doctor of jurisprudence degree from Yale Law School. Hi, Sonia. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Uh, Let's sort of jump in, shall we? Um, Outside Financial is launching to the public in June. Uh, Could you provide an outline of what Outside Financial is and how it's different from what's on the marketplace today? Absolutely. So what we do at Outside Financial is we help our customers to understand all of their auto finance options, and then we connect them to our lender partners so they can get the right loan package for themselves. I think what really sets us apart is our consumer-first approach and mindset. It just permeates everything we do as a company. We started with the, the idea that for a customer, when you're going through this auto-buying journey, um, it's really hard to understand all of your options. There's not a great one-stop shop to figure out what you're doing and then connect to a lender. And so I would say that for us, our focus is on educating our consumers just as much as helping them to arrange their financing. And you know, you'll see on our site, we have a lot of differentiated content and tools to help our customers. And then as we do the process of connecting with lenders, it's a really seamless tech-enabled uh, connection that we make with them, but really all built around helping our consumers, helping our customers understand this whole buying process. Great. And Outside Financial is a startup, of course, and um, mm-hmm. you, I think, plan on working with a few lenders by the time of its launch. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that lender startup dynamic and what you've learned so far? Um, You know, what are some ways that lenders should approach the idea of working with startups? Yeah, for us, it really starts with understanding the concerns that our lender partners have, which are legion, right? So my previous work involved helping large financial institutions to navigate regulatory requirements. So I come to this from this mindset of, if I'm sitting in my lender partner's shoes, what are the things I'm worrying about every day? And it's not just regulation, although that's obviously huge, but it's reputational risks, it's customer concerns, oftentimes it's shareholder worries, right? So as a tiny startup, you know, we don't have shareholders, right? We have constituents, but we don't face that same set of concerns. And also just in terms of the number of folks on a startup team versus these you know, huge financial institutions with many different internal constituencies, right? So I think it starts from this understanding of, okay, here's who we are as a startup. We bring this um, ability to be nimble and innovative, but we have to understand uh, what our lender partners are worried about, right? And so for us, that means we've created this company with this mindset of being compliance-focused, compliance-first. So we want to be innovative. We want to be nimble. That's what we bring as a startup, but we don't want to push our lender partners anywhere that they, they don't feel comfortable being or where they shouldn't be. Right. I'm, I'm curious to know more about, you know, trying to be innovative, but at the same time compliant. I think there's this idea that startups embody a move fast, break things ethos. Uh, but of course, mm-hmm. for something like auto finance, where it's very heavily regulated, um, you know, that sort of is at odds with that mentality. How do you try to strike that balance between being innovative while also being compliant? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I would say our mantra is more of a move carefully and scale responsibly, right? So, you know, if we're if you're judging on a, on a scale versus these large financial institutions, we are much more nimble. We can move faster. We can, you know, change things on a dime, right? But compared to maybe your average Silicon Valley startup, I would say we have approached this very cautiously. So we spent our, our first year as a life of the company really just uh, understanding consumers, really understanding the legal requirements in each state. You know, it, it was not an approach of, hey, let's just throw up a website and see what happens. It was, let's try to really understand what is the need in the marketplace? What do our lender partners need from us or want from us as a partner? Um, and then what makes sense in every state in which we'd operate so that there's no issues on the regulatory or licensing side? And I think that's just, it's good practice for any company. And I hope that more startups take that approach of, of you know, able to scale in a responsible manner. Right. And, and going off of this idea of responsibility, it seems like outside financial is really trying to be um, responsible with its customers as well. And, you know, mm -hmm transparency about the auto finance process. How do you plan to educate customers in ways that they understand? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question because I think, you know, there are a lot of resources out there in many different places about the best way to do this, right? You can go on Consumer Reports. They'll tell you, you know, shop around for your car loan before you go to the dealership, right? Right. Lots of sites that offer auto refinancing. And I think in general, most consumers still don't understand that they have these options or take advantage of them. So for us, it's really been focused on understanding what kinds of questions do consumers have, know they have, and they're searching for, right? How do we build a website to answer those questions? And then how do we answer questions they didn't even know they had to ask? And so as we've built out our content, we tried to provide the answer in a way that fits where the customer is in that buying journey, wherever that is, right? So it could be that short answer, I just need to know what does GAP stand for? Um, a slightly longer answer, hey, what is GAP? Might it be right for me? Can I take a quiz to figure that out? And then the real deep dive, the like extensive long form content to really give somebody the, the full picture on what that product is. I'd say we also built our resources to fit different learning styles. So some folks like me, I, I love to read, right? I have a background as an attorney. I don't mind the fine print. But other people, you know, read uh, do better when they're learning through video content, for example, or through an interactive quiz or an infographic. And so we've really tried to build out a content library that fits whoever our customer is, wherever they are in that, that buying journey. And I think, you know, to go back to the earlier question about being a startup, the cool thing for us is that we can be nimble. So if we're finding, hey, you know, people are clicking on this site and it's not really meeting their needs, it's not answering the questions they have, we can change the text. We can figure out how to add resources relatively quickly to meet those consumer needs. Right, right. And you also mentioned to me the other day that Outside Financial recently conducted a consumer survey and found that women typically ended up paying more for financing than men, even when both sexes were equally credit worthy. Um, you know, how did this information inform the way Outside Financial plans to educate its customers? How, what are some ways you're trying to think about issues like that? At the very beginning, when we started the company, we did about a 600 person survey, and it was to understand really broadly, what is the customer's buying journey? And I would say we weren't exactly surprised to find that there was a gender divide in how customers view this process. What I did find surprising was the magnitude, right? So we found across the board, women just felt like, 
they had a terrible experience at the dealership. They felt more vulnerable. Uh, they didn't understand what was happening. And in fact, you know, as our research and other research has showed, they do pay more for cars. They do uh, get worse deals in financing, right? At the same time, you know, 85% of car buying decisions are made by women. So this is an industry where there's a huge mismatch between how women are approaching this, how they feel about the process, and the, the actual buying power they have, right? So as we've built our site and our company, you know, obviously technology works for all genders, for all ethnicities, but our focus is really on helping the, the customer who has done this before, felt like they didn't get the best deal and wants to do better this time around. And I think it's with that mindset as we've designed our content, as we've designed our tools and thinking about how do we help somebody who's, who's on that path, right? Who's approaching this as a, not I'm super excited to get my car and understand my financing, but how can I do better this time? Right, right. I'm also interested in knowing your thoughts about, um, you know, where you think the uh, increased representation by women, whether it be in dealerships or on an executive level, might sort of influence that. You, of course, are president of Outside Financial and also a woman. That's right. And it's funny, I was just looking at a study that found consumers are more likely to buy from salespeople who share their gender ethnicity, right? And I think there's probably a comfort or familiarity effect. I want to buy from somebody who looks or sounds like me. But I think it's also about understanding a customer's needs, right? I want to feel that the person sitting across the table from me knows what it's like to be me. And so is selling me products or selling me services that would be the right fit. And so I think historically, the auto industry has been so male-dominated that it's not really that surprising that women feel at a disadvantage. If you walk into a dealership and it's all-male sales staff and you're stuck in the back office with the F&I guy, uh, you know, that can make you feel particularly vulnerable as a woman. And so I think the more the auto industry and the finance industry uh, increases female representation, the more we can understand how others are, you know, the broad diversity of how people approach this process. I don't want to say that we all face the same issues, right? So I'm a mom and not every mom has the same set of issues with their kids, depending on age group, depending on um, life stage, depending on uh, you know their credit or their income, right? But if you don't have a mom on your team, you may not be understanding that part of the market. Right, and do you think that more representation on an executive level at an automotive captive or or even a startup like yourself will have or could have a trickle-down effect to customers way, when they're at a dealership, for example? I really think it will. Um, I think it's, it's partly about designing products to meet those unique needs. It's about marketing that's fitting that, right? So if all of your marketing is... Um, you know, like uh, scantily clad women draped over cars. Well, maybe that might be off-putting to, to some uh, segments of the population, right? Can we think about a message that would actually appeal to somebody who's, you know, just wants a car to get from school to soccer practice that's not going to uh, have too many popcorn kernels in the backseat, right? Thinking about who our consumers are and what their concerns are, I think, is really critical. And the more diversity we have among executive ranks, I think those concerns come to the fore a lot more. Do you have any ideas uh, that of how certain companies could increase their representation, whether it be of women or people of color in general? Um, you know, I think a lot of times there's this excuse or a rationale behind like, 
oh, I don't know why there aren't women at this company. There's never been, you know, a no women policy, for example. <laughs> yeah, it's such a hard question to answer. You know, as we've hired for our team, I find uh, it's very, you have to be very conscious about who you're hiring, what you're hiring for, uh, because people come in all flavors, right? And so it can be really easy to all of a sudden assemble a team that looks the same because you think, well, I understand this person's experience or this person's like me and therefore I want to hire them. And I do think it takes being conscious of expanding that pool of people, expanding what you consider the, the appropriate background. Uh, and so hiring, not, not token-wise, right? Like not I'm filling this spot with a woman or filling this spot with a person of color, but thinking what do I need to add to my team that will uh, add value kind of above and beyond just this person's background versus this other person's background. So yeah, I think it, it starts with that. I want to be uh, conscious of my own internal biases. When I look at a hiring pool, am I making sure that I'm getting talent that is not just narrowly specifically focused on what I'm looking for, but hits other things, uh, other elements of a diverse background that maybe I wouldn't have thought about to begin with as, as what I'm looking for in this role. So, you know, as an example, we're, uh, thinking about marketing and hiring folks in the marketing side, right? And so there's lots of types of marketers um, in gender, ethnicity, background. Uh, and, you know, as we think about who to bring onto our team, we think about who our team is now, the, the experience and expertise we bring, and in bringing in voices that are, don't just reinforce what we're saying, but have different backgrounds, life experiences to add to the richness of our team. Right. And another passionate subject of yours is on regulation. I'm, I'm curious, especially since you have you know, a, a law degree um, and you've spent time as a law clerk, I'm interested in understanding if there's anything right now that you're particularly paying attention to, uh, whether it's regulations at the state level or the CFPB, what's on your radar? Yeah. I mean, the fun thing about auto finance and as an attorney is there's always something to pay attention to. I mean, you know, like everybody else, I'm watching the CFPB sort of slow down its regulatory activity, uh, but I don't think that means anybody can really breathe easy because I think we're seeing the regulations at the state level pick up pretty aggressively. The state attorneys general are really, uh, you know, sort of seeing what the CFPB is doing and I think, you know, picking up some of that slack. And in a lot of ways, that's much harder for companies, right? Because now instead of one federal policy where you can set, set a policy and then kind of watch the CFPB now you have to worry about 50 different state policies and making sure you're compliant in each place. So that's something I pay a lot of attention to. Um, you know, the other big area I think that's really interesting is around privacy issues, right? So we're watching Facebook uh, get sort of yelled at from the federal government, but, you know, it's not just regulation. It's also reputational risks and consumers, right? So in any of the auto or financial industries where we're taking in customer sensitive information, we need to be really careful about what we do with that information, making sure customers understand why we, why we ask for the information we're asking for and that we're keeping it secure, right? And so, you know, there's that sort of side of, I don't want to do anything that's going to get the regulators to call, but I also don't want to do anything where social media is going to amplify um, problems that we have, right? So you look at what happened with Wells Fargo, and there's obviously big regulatory penalties, but there's also a, the reputational risk that they suffer from customers. And so I think for anybody in financial services or auto, uh, these are things where it's, it's really worth investing time to make sure that we're being very careful about customer privacy and customer information. 
Yes, I'd be interested in understanding a little bit more how outside financial targets um, that issue when it comes to something like customer privacy specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think technology certainly enables um, keeping information as secure as possible, right? So we try, and I'd say it does start from asking customers for only the information we need and being clear about, you know, why we're asking for it. So, you know, we do ask for social, but we have an explainer that comes on to say, like, why this information is necessary. Because we do want to reassure the customer that we're only asking for it because we need it, and we're going to keep it encrypted and secure in the, the best way possible. Obviously, no company is immune from possible breaches, but we're going to try our hardest to keep that information as secure and encrypted as we can. So I think it's a, it's a dual approach, right? It's being honest with the customer about what we're doing, and then on the back end, earning that trust by, um, you know, using every mechanism that, are available, that is available to keep the information secure. Do you have any other last thoughts to share with us today? I, I want to say thank you so much to you, Emma, for uh, inviting me on here and asking such great questions. And to your listeners, we're really excited to get into the marketplace really soon to help consumers understand their options and to be a great partner with our lenders to help them reach new customers. We think there is so much that can be done to help consumers understand car buying and owning, do it better, be better borrowers, be better customers. And we're excited to get live and see that happen. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you as well, Emma.